You are listening to Fighting with God. Fighting with God exists to proclaim the gospel so that a lively faith, the abundant love of God, and a confident hope that endures the darkness can be presented to a world that desperately needs them. We believe that engaging the struggles of following Jesus and calling things what they are, being theologians of the cross, can set us free to know the God who knows and loves us where we are and to the life he created us to have. Stay tuned. And welcome to Fighting with God, Season 3, Episode 22. I'm your host, Dave Ketter, and with me is my friend and co-host, Jason Wilson. Hey, everybody. And uh, we really, we started a conversation about race last week, and uh, we really didn't feel like it was quite done. And honestly, in terms of real life and conversations and relationships we have, uh, it's probably not going to be done in our lifetime. Just being realistic. So, um, but but it seemed like the thing to do would be to kind of continue talking through some of it and uh, to wrestle together on, on some of the issues and presenting challenges as uh, our country and our world really uh, continue to uh, wrestle with uh, equal treatment, actually uh, treating people as as human beings, as peers, as those who are beloved by God. And uh, as crazy as it is, that is actually the challenge for us. Yeah, and uh, for those who are just tuning in, or if you want a reminder, some of the format we're using to form this conversation is um, I ask, I've been asking questions uh, because one of the things I've realized in this whole endeavor is I'm really quite ignorant about uh, things that go on, whether that's chosen, I don't think it is most of the time, or just because the areas I choose to be engaged or choose not to be engaged, I don't hear a lot about things other than what's just generally out there, which means I really don't hear things from a personal perspective or a black perspective. Mm -hmm. So whereas Dave having close friends and social media contacts uh, throughout the black community and others uh, is much more aware of things and has had to wrestle with these questions more than I have. Um, so for the context of our conversation, we've been going back and forth mm. like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the, the, the important thing too is again, both of us are speaking from the posture of we're both our, our experiences. We're both white and we're both men in in the United States in North America, and so there's a lot of privileges that have gone with that, and um, even even the difference in our exposure there is not quite really up to the difference in experience uh, of communities of color in the same place. Right. 
And so, so we are by no means experts on this. No. This conversation is very much, this is what we've been able to see and yeah. learn and engage with. Right. And, you know, as people who have privilege, we need to be talking about this um, because we do have a voice. So, you know, what we've got, we need to share because the conversation needs to happen. So that's why we do what we do. That being said, um, I kind of wanted to spring off some of the stuff we started talking about towards the end of our last conversation. And that had to do a lot with, as you put it, uh, story and our narrative and how a a lot of times uh, our narrative as white people is something along the lines of I worked hard to get where I am or my dad worked hard to get where we are so that I could have these things. If somebody else wants to do that, then they need to work hard to do that. Um, But... Yeah, and it may not be, you know, so defensive as that even, you know. It might just be simple, like, I watched this happen. I watched, you know... I mean, in my case, like, I watched my dad have two or sometimes three jobs mm-hmm. and business school and, you know, a, my mom working part-time. Like, I watched those kinds of things happen. Yeah. Like, there's, no, there's nothing defensive about that. It's an acknowledgement of reality. There was hard work. Yeah. Right. And what we were saying some just today, we started talking about the privilege we have. Um, you know, not only are we... Uh, white, males, etc. But we have this privilege where our families did work hard so that we would have a better life. Yeah. Um, and they have supported us through a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not just our parents, but our entire family networks. Yeah. Um, and... You know, my family is, I'm, what, third generation college. (laughs) Um, So, and my grandfather uh, worked his way into owning a company and... Yeah, so you you, know, your family was a little, a little further along in the American Dream Trail than the mine was, but <laughs> right, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, um, but because <laughs> I, you know, a first generation college student, at, uh, college graduate rather, and I, yeah, I, I don't think I'll be working my way into owning a company anytime soon. Yeah, probably not. Partly <laughs> because you know that would be awful for you you it's true that's not something you want no um in the least nope so headhunters you can put take me off of your list (laughs) uh but if you're looking for a priest (laughs) uh that that's yeah anyway yeah but yeah consequently i know i've had a lot of things 
presented to me. Mm-hmm. And in that regard, I think I may be more aware of that than some people are. Right. Um, right. And the two things you're naming there that are important, I, I think, are just you, you've had a lot of uh, two things. One, one is opportunity. And the other thing is advantage. Right. And those are not the same thing. Right. I had the opportunity to go to school. I had the advantage because I had people providing Mm. for the resources so that I could do that. Right. Yeah. And, and that, 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 uh, those resources were not a hardship in that, in that way, uh, to be provided. So they were available. Right. Okay, so we've established that there, we have advantages. So there must be people with disadvantages, right? Right. And yet, so frequently, thinking about people who are disadvantaged in some way is hard for me to accept mm. um, or has been. Hard for me to accept. Uh, You know, if you say it like, I'm fortunate or there are people not as fortunate as me or something like that, um, it might be easier for me to swallow. But to say somebody uh, has it harder than me in ways is a hard thing Mm -hmm. for some people, including myself perhaps, to swallow. But that's some of what I wanted to talk about today because it doesn't get talked about. And consequently, if you haven't been there, it's real easy to just not know. Mm -hmm. And then make assumptions about, well, why don't they just fill in the blank? Right. Yeah, well, and I mean, here's the deal. I want to name something that you're you're kind of uh, laying out. One is um, you are naming kind of this, you know, the, the, it's the story, right? We started there, or we still have it. The story is that America is the land of opportunity. The United States is a place everybody has the chance. Everybody can make it. Everybody can work hard and get where they're going, improve their situation, improve the lot of their family, um, and and friends, a community, whatever. Like, everybody has that. That is the, that is the story that uh, has been told and in, to some degree or another has been experienced primarily in white spaces. And part of what the effect of that, though, is that white spaces have what we might regard as something of an invincible ignorance, there is this capacity to uh, insulate ourselves from all of the evidence that goes to the contrary of that story. And there are just enough exception stories to, for us to say, see, right. we're right. Right. Yes. You know, and I mean, kudos, for example, kudos to somebody like uh, Dr. Ben Carson. And I realize he's a controversial figure in a lot of ways. I'm not going to comment on that. Except to say that, you know, he came from nothing. He worked hard. He had some opportunities. He went to medical school. He did incredible, like, groundbreaking surgery and saved people's lives. Like, 
he's got an incredible story and he's a black man, right? But he does not prove <laughs> in any way, nor do any, any other kind of exceptional circumstances that may arise uh, that, oh, everybody has opportunity any more than the fact that many of the Rust Belt towns in Western Pennsylvania filled with um, out of work and, you know, been retrained for three different jobs, kinds of steel workers, prove that all of it's a lie. You know, it just doesn't, it's not that simple. Never is. Right. So what are some common why can't they just mm -hmm. phrases? Yeah. Well, I mean, just uh, going off of Facebook, like in the last month, I could I could say, oh, you know, why why can't why can't they just um, get a job? Why can't they just relocate? Uh, why can't they just go to college? And the days here, obviously, are are. Uh, you know, typically people of color that are in view. Um, sometimes it, it is broader than that. Sometimes it's why can't poor people, and that obviously includes some white folks too. Um, but there is this question of why can't they just, uh, as you as you're suggesting, that that gets into uh, economic opportunity. And honestly, conversations around race are littered with why can't they just. So this goes way beyond the economics and, the, and, and situation, the advantages that we're talking about. This goes into questions of law enforcement and, and justice. Why can't they just comply when the police officer says? Why can't they just, you know, like the, this goes all over the place. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. I had even, even started thinking beyond economics and opportunities yet. Yeah, but but I think it, it just shows that we have such a, a an invincible ignorance, and we want to protect this this myth, the story that we tell that that everyone has opportunity and everyone um, has their shot. And so to the point that if someone doesn't have it, it has to be their fault somehow. Right, and. I just made this connection in my brain um, that really actually makes me resonate with this question in an infuriating way. Mm. Because why can't they just are oftentimes asked very innocently, very, I mean, sometimes they are meant to be inflammatory, but oftentimes from people who don't realize they're ignorant or are trying to be helpful, things like that. Um, very innocent places, okay. But, you know, part of my story is I have ADD, um, which means one of the things that came up for me a lot is why can't you just focus, pay attention, Sit still. Keep up. You know, those kinds of questions. Um, and we may be talking about two totally different leagues here. Mm -hmm. 
but it's something that just connected for me as to, oh, I get it. This is infuriating because it's like there are so many issues that I can't explain to you in even a half hour, let alone five minutes. Right. Yeah. Why that question is infuriating. Right. And and here's the thing, right? You know, I mean, you you kind of you've been focusing on kind of the innocence or the just the, the naivety of the folks that can ask that. But let's let's acknowledge the the ground of why they ask that. But it's because the the particulars of your situation make them uncomfortable or make them inconvenienced in some way or make them feel like they might have to act on it. And, and so regardless of their own innocence or naivety, the fact is they're come face to face with something they don't want to have to deal with. <laughs> and it may just be worldview shattering. So, yeah, I mean, you know, so so when you get those questions like it's uh, yeah, they might be asked innocently enough, but but people are asking those questions because they don't want to confront their reality. <laughs> and which, they're afraid they might have to do something. Which, if you think about it, is really the foundation of racism. I mean, well, you could say hate is the foundation of racism. Honestly, money was a big part of the foundation of racism. But but a lot of it has to do with people being uncomfortable and not wanting to have to engage with it. That's definitely why it's still maintained. That's definitely why it still has the power it does. Right. Um, Saying it's the foundation of might be a little too yeah, no, no, ambitious. No. No, and the foundations actually get to why we're in the situation, which is you know the fact the fact is that that uh, white colonial powers, and that includes the Americas because we were colonies, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then we took we took charge, and we decided to run it our way, mm-hmm. and uh, had to have a way to to make money to make wealth happen to make raw material development and production happen. And that requires labor. And the cheaper you can get the labor, the more you can make. And that operates at every level of our economy still. Lower payroll, lower overhead. Yeah. And slaves were the way to do it. And slavery was how it was done. And they, they started with the Irish. And they started with people who were working off prison sentences. By the way, prison labor, still a thing. Although in this case, uh, as the documentary 13th really, really highlights very well, um, predominantly black prison labor. So there's this, um, you know, you get all, all of these things like it's, it is about labor. It's about making money off of people for the least possible investment. And that is what our entire economic system was built on. Yep. And the people, you know, like, you know, we talk about, oh, well, slavery ended in in the 1860s. Well, okay, we're recording this on Juneteenth, June 19th. We're recording this when two freaking years after the Civil War, 
there's a, finally an announcement from a, a uh, officer of the Union Army coming to Galveston, Texas, and saying, uh, by, by executive decree, by executive order, all slaves are free. <laughs> it, you know, not, not even everybody knew that slavery was ended until two years after the freaking, you know, the, the Appomattox uh, signature. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't even known. And there were still people functioning in slavery, um, chattel slavery in, in Texas. And so, like, you know, this is sort of the Black Independence Day that, that's, that's celebrated. And it, you know, honestly, it should be a national holiday. Like, that, this is what we should be pushing for. But, but, you know, people found other ways that going forward, it's like when, when these people were, were set free, they had nothing. And very often ended up working up for folks that literally just had them in slavery. You know, it's like, okay, I'll give you work for room and board. Didn't look a whole lot different, you know? Or, you know, well, it's just, it set up systems of oppressive labor that, okay, it wasn't slavery, but it wasn't that much better. And, you know, it's, it continued. And so you've got generations of people who are fighting and working and putting everything into improving their their lot, but you know the the any anyone that does investments will tell you like if you start with a little, you can only stand to make a little. <laughs> it's not it's not a lottery. It's it's an investment. <laughs> right. You want to win big, you got to invest big. <laughs> right, and this whole idea of what is the least possible. I can pay you and still get away with it mm -hmm. is still very prominent. Yeah. It's the foundation of a lot of companies, uh, minimum wage jobs. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. And we're not even getting into economic philosophy. This is just whatever well, it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm not starting an yeah. argument about minimum yeah. wage. Right. Yeah. No. But but this is this is where like disadvantage is in a lot of ways inherited just the way you and I inherited our advantages. Right. So that brings us up to another question. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things people don't know if you know they haven't been in that position? Right. So what are some of those disadvantages uh, that people just don't know about? Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I mean, you know, some some of it is, some of it is is kind of subtle. You know, uh, we we have, uh, you know, there are things in terms of racism in America that are, uh, that are subtle. That you know, like okay, um, you know, I've got black friends who can't go through a store without being followed, or uh, you know, like an employee is kind of following them, watching them the whole time they're shopping and. You know, oh, can I help you? And uh, all this, like, you know, it, it has a mask of friendliness, but you're being stalked through the store, basically, right? Um, you've got situations where there's demonstrated in multiple studies that if you give, um, you know, HRs 
resumes, and there is a name that to them sounds uh, ethnic. It sounds black or Hispanic or whatever. Those names are less likely to be chosen for follow-up, even when they have equal qualifications with more um, white-sounding names, Anglo-sounding names. So it's like you know you could get you could get uh, an, a re- almost identical re- resumes from someone named uh, Michael Smith and then someone named uh, Tyrone Green. Tyrone's resume is not going to get a second look, but Michael's going to be on the <laughs> so they could be equally qualified. But there's this there's this built-in kind of suspicion like okay so that so you have less opportunity from that you already have a culture of suspicion. Because you can't even do your grocery shopping without being followed around. Um, you, you get any number of, uh, you know, again, there's, some of these things are historical. But, like, you get uh, up until uh, very recently, and there are actually places, there's this practice called redlining. And in redlining, they actually decided, you know, the banks and the mortgage brokers decided neighborhoods in which they would grant uh, mortgages and loans to, uh, to to people of color, like it was this kind of legal loophole. It, like you know, there's some neighborhoods that were off off map, and then others that were just too risky to grant loans. And it's like you know, uh, you know, this is someone who's tried to build your own um, kind of life and and home and everything. It's hard to get a mortgage. Yeah. You know, and especially when when your income is under a certain level, like you have to make an argument and you have to make a case. Well, you find if you find a property that's affordable and you find one that that would be within the range of what you can get a mortgage for. But then the bank has decided that area is too risky, that it's redlined. They're not going to grant it automatically. Or (laughs) the house you're wanting to buy doesn't cost enough money for them to give you a loan for it. That's one that I ran into a lot. Right, right, yeah. So, but, that, but that's what redlining set up this, this like, nope, automatically denied. You, you can't get there. And, right. I mean, here's the deal. Um, most people don't move into neighborhoods uh, with folks that don't look like them. <laughs> so yeah. so the, the, the redlined neighborhoods were overwhelmingly, disproportionately... Um, black communities, Hispanic communities, Asian communities, indigenous communities, um, you know, all, all these kinds of, so it was, it was just set up and it, and it continued, uh, down to, to the current, uh, day. Like this is not an old, like, oh, we'll read about it in your history book. I mean, you might, but. And another one that I, I just recently ran into hearing about it from someone I know um, is the whole driving well black. Yep. And, you know, even me who's like, I mean, I've been trying to wrestle with this and trying to wrap my brain around it for the last few years. This isn't a new struggle for me. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I couldn't help taking it with a grain of salt. Like, really just get pulled over for no reason do you no yeah yeah you do yeah but right. i mean right. these are things that are hard for some of us to accept really happen yeah but no they really do yeah 
Well, and think about think about the way that impacts the economy. You know, so one of the ways that a lot of people are moving, trying to move forward these days, is they work for Uber or Lyft or something like that, or they're a delivery driver somewhere, right? They're trying to get some extra money, or working delivery on the weekends, or some, or DoorDash or whatever. There's any number of ways that involve the gig economy. This is how you make extra money: is is driving people around or driving things to people, especially in the pandemic and folks not leaving their house. It, it's it's a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you as someone are just trying to work and just trying to work a hustle and get, get some money together improve your situation are someone who is at risk to just being pulled over while you're doing your job you're not going to have that job very long like it's not very good for your job security it's like okay I get called over by, pulled over by police I'm sitting there 15, 20, 30 minutes 45 minutes. I've had friends who've sat on the side of the road for 45 minutes while after a police officer pulled them over. And they, and you got a pizza in the car that so somebody's waiting on. They're calling the store. The store's calling you. You can't answer because you're waiting on the police. Like, you, this is not a tenable situation. You can't sustain yourself in that kind of employment. I mean, to say nothing of the trauma of having to go through that situation to begin with. You know? I mean, it just... But economically, like, how do, how is an employer supposed to work w- with that? How are you as an employee supposed to feel safe that you can keep and, and, and have confidence that you can go about your job? You know, it, it, in many respects, it's, it is a risky uh, situation to be in. So we've covered, you know, why can't they just get a better job? Well, right. if even their name sets them apart, what are you going to say now? Well, why don't they just change their name? <laughs> right. I mean, how how's that going to go when they actually show up? Oh, Michael Smith, you're you're uh, you're you're black. Um, yeah, that happens too. Like here, you get to the interview, like oh, you you're not what we were looking for. I mean, and and God forbid they would you know like. It, it's awful that this happens. Like, right? We're not making light of this in the least, but it's the real situation that you even uh, if if a name sounds Anglo, and hey, that's a legacy of of slavery. Like, that's that's a thing, you know. Pe- people have ended up with, you know, former masters' uh, last names and all all of that. Like, that's a thing. That's reality, and you know, people should be able to name them, their kids whatever they want. Like. <laughs> Like there's no there's no uh, rule there. there. I mean that's that's the fact. Like you know, there's no such thing as a normal name. Um, and when people say normal, they just mean white. Like let's be real. And um, so yeah, you get you get if you don't get it from the resume side, you definitely gonna get it in the interview side. And everybody, everybody's gonna be quick. Well, I don't know. I would I wouldn't want to be that biased in in my interviewing and. Okay, God bless you. Maybe, maybe you won't be. I hope. I hope anyone listening is involved in hiring would would be aware enough of themselves to to be able to to catch the bias, to catch the the whatever narrative that they they've been told or or sold or enculturated in some way. Uh, to actually recognize that there's opportunity um, and open disadvantage in front of them. And maybe they have the they have the chance to do something about it. 
to, to begin to make a little bit of justice. And what about those, I mean, we may not even have time to get into this today, but it just makes me think of the question of people bring up the argument of, well, statistically, such and such a person is a bigger risk. You know, how, how do we engage with that? How do we continue to fight these things? Mm-hmm. How do we... Yeah. I, I, I don't even know. Yeah. No. And, and that, that's the thing. So, like, a lot of, you know, you and me, uh, we're, we're millennials. We haven't, most of our age cohort have not gotten into places where we're making hiring decisions. Um, and most of our listeners are likely to be millennials as well. Um, probably some Gen Xers and, and boomers, but mostly millennials. And our age cohort is not in the place where they, are in the hiring decisions most of the time. But this is part of why things like affirmative action existed, uh, existed to, to, try, to try to make an effort on that. Um, there is some, some things going around that I've heard from pastor friends about, uh, about Zacchaeus funds is what they're calling it. And, and, and the intention of that is for communities and particularly churches can lead on this. To, to find ways to make amends, to make some reparations, to begin to heal the divide it, that, that exists economically and in, in terms of opportunity and in terms of advantage by giving, um, by giving people of color the, the, uh, uh, the steps, uh, the, the open door, really, in, in terms of recognizing, like, all right, you've been robbed. Okay, you've been robbed. You've not been compensated for your labor. Your your ancestors were not compensated for your labor, and how how do we make this right? And at at base level, like you got to do it locally. Affirmative action has had has helped some. That was a federal thing. That was a massive, system wide thing. But there's easy ways to get around it. The bigger your solution, the more loopholes there are, right? But the but you can make genuine, real local effort. You know, in your own hiring, in your own uh, company, in your own areas of influence, think about what is it, what is it uh, that that we can do to to um, to recognize our own advantage, to own it, and to speak up where we have opportunity to correct a disadvantage. And that speech may be money, according to the Supreme Court. Money is speech, so feel free to use it. <laughs> And sometimes that can even be at a personal level. Mm. Um, Sometimes that personal relationship is something that can make all of the difference. Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. If you're someone in a place of privilege willing to vouch for someone. But, Mm -hmm. you know, that may be a very difficult relationship. If you are going to try to combat that, it's not going to be easy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and I mean, the thing, the thing we have to avoid in this is like, look, it's easy when you're confronted with all this to want to go, especially when you start to realize your own privilege to, to fall into kind of a white savior complex. Um, you are not the savior. <laughs> if you are a white person, you are not the savior. You, we cannot fix this. 
we uh, we do not have the power to just say like you know to just extend our our uh, you know scepter of privilege and correct the abuses and the sins against um, people of color that have been perpetrated by by our ancestors by the systems that we live in by the systems we benefit from but we have a responsibility uh, to develop relationship. We have a responsibility to do justice wherever it is within our power. Right. So, um, but that really is what we have time for today. Yeah, we're really running up against it. Yeah, so, but, um, you know, the, the Lord requires us to, to, to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with him. So let's uh, let's set about that uh, in the power of the Spirit. Let's let's turn to God and and ask Him to make justice and to help us to use our freedom and every advantage we have to make justice happen. Um, but until next time, God bless and have a good one. Thanks for listening today. We hope that this word was a blessing for you. Please rate and review on your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Twitter at Fighting with God or Facebook at Fighting With God Podcast. Remember that Jesus is here to speak peace, faith, hope, and love in your life. So go in peace.